History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to History Goes Bump. This is the third road trip episode for 2017. It also will be our final one. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And we are on the road heading back home. We just left New Orleans not too long ago. We'll be overnighting in Tallahassee. And then it's back to home and work again. But we had a fabulous time on our road trip, and we thought we'd just share some of the loose ends to wrap everything up in a nice little bow. So, Denise, out of the whole entire trip, now that we've done everything, because we don't have anything planned for Tallahassee other than just camping overnight, what was your favorite? Sorry, Jill, but it's the food in New Orleans. See, food beats out animals every time with Denise. Now we have to ask out of all of the different things that you sampled in New Orleans, and we basically tried everything that you're supposed to try when you're there, what was your favorite dish? Yes. Okay, well, (laughs) that was clear. (laughs) I think mine still is the crawfish etouffee. I really enjoyed that. The last place that we got gumbo, though, was the best gumbo that we had on the whole trip. Yes, it was. It was super, super yummy. And we weren't expecting it. Now, there are tons and tons of places that you could eat in New Orleans. A lot of them are in the French Quarter, but we had Tiana with us. So we had the added thing of where we had to find a place that allowed dogs to be there while you're eating. So there were three places that we ate while we were in Louisiana with Tiana, where we had to sit down and and eat. The first place that we went to, I believe we shared on the last episode, was Charter House. We had gumbo there. Then we went to Joey K's restaurant when we were in the Garden District. Denise got gumbo there, and I got a shrimp po' boy. She thought that that gumbo was better than the Charter House. And this is also one of those places that has been featured in Guy Fieri's Drive-Ins, Diners, and Dives, I believe. So they make a big deal out of the fact that they've been on that show. Well, the food was excellent there. We really enjoyed it. Highly recommend it. And it's right there in the Garden District, just down from the Lafayette Cemetery. So it's very convenient, and it was packed and very loud, so it's obviously very popular. Then the third place that we ate was the Gazebo Cafe, and this was on in the French Quarter as well, on the edge, kind of up where the, for anybody that knows it, it's near the French Market, where they have the Farmer's Market used to be, so it's up in that area there, very close to Jackson Square, and it's right down from Cafe Du Monde. Now when you look at it, you see... It's just a bunch of these old metal tables and chairs sitting around. Does not look fancy at all. You're thinking, oh, doesn't look like the nicest place to eat. So in your mind, you're thinking, well, maybe the food's not that great. What did you think of their gumbo, Denise? It was amazing. It was really, really good. Out of all three places that she had gumbo, that was her favorite. In that place, I got a mufalada. So 
we got everything taken care of when I had that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a mufalata here because we have not had that. And we had done a tour earlier in the day. And on the tour, this is at the Central Grocery and Deli. We stopped outside of that and we were told that if you don't get there early, they run out of bread because they get it locally and fresh. So if they run out, they don't make them anymore. And usually about 2 p.m. they run out. And it was after 2 by the time we got done with our first tour that day. So we're like, well, I'll get it here. And I thought it was just as good. I don't think it has as much meat as the Central Deli. But anyway, the Gazebo Cafe, highly recommend it. Charter House was good. And we enjoyed most of the stuff there. But that was the least favorite gumbo that Denise had. It had a real smoky flavor to it. I wasn't crazy about it either. Now, we want to give you guys a tip about parking If you ever go to New Orleans and you want to go to the French Quarter, the best place that we found to park was near the visitor center there. It's just off of Rampart Street. It's across the street from the police station that's there, and it's right next to the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. It's $10, I think, for up to 8 hours, and for $20, you could park there for 24 hours. So we felt that that was the most reasonable price. Plus, it's outside of the French Quarter, so you're not in the middle of all the chaos, so you don't have to drive through any of that. We highly recommend that you do not drive in the French Quarter. We did that, and it was just on the outer edge, and it is just stop and go. And after doing that, I didn't even get my stamp. Yeah, she was supposed to get a a stamp at the Jazz Historical National Historical Site, and we weren't able to get over to it, so we tried the next day. That would have been on a Saturday. We tried the next day. Sunday it was closed, of course. So she didn't get the stamp in her book. So I guess we have to go back to New Orleans again. On that day in the morning, we did a tour, a historical tour of the French Quarter with Two Chicks Walking Tour again. Really enjoyed it. We had the exact same tour guide, Richard, and we really enjoyed it. He was very knowledgeable and pointed out all the highlights. We got to sample pralines. We actually ended up buying some and bringing them home with us. And we're going to give some to mom and dad and Denise is going to give some to Auntie Cowie at Disney's Polynesian Village Resort. Cute thing about the tours, we actually went into Jackson Square to talk about the history there. And I looked around before we went in to see if there was any signs about pets. And there wasn't. So we took little Tiana in and we're like, hey, there's finally some grass. So we're letting her pee and everything. At the very end of the part of Jackson Square, we were told, not that we were in trouble or anything, that technically dogs aren't allowed, but there's no signs. It's on the little rules thing that's in small letters. And the reason being is that the cat sanctuary. So Tiana left her mark on a cat sanctuary. So I'm sure there's a lot of angry cats in New Orleans right now. They probably were walking around going, ooh, I smell dog pee. They were in our sanctuary. But that is one thing about taking a dog to the French Quarter. There is no grass anywhere in there. So just so you know, you have to find a patch before you go in. It's not very big. You can walk the French Quarter. It's not that tough to walk all around it to get in and out of it. But just know that if you have a dog, there's not a lot of places for them to go to the bathroom. This was a Sunday morning. So we attempted Bourbon Street again without all the crowds and the chaos. And it was much nicer. There was hardly anybody on the street. If you want to get an authentic feel of what it used to be before we had modern day sanitation, that would be the street to go to because I am sure that that's about what it smelled like back in the Victorian era and even before. No doubt about it. That street reeks. 
it smells so bad that I actually thought that Tiana might have poop stuck on her butt. And so we checked her because I'm like, I'm smelling a disgusting smell. And it wasn't our little girl. It was just the street. Now, I'm sure it's appealing to some people to go there to party. Some of you young people listening, maybe that's a a goal. But (laughs) I never need to see that street or be on that street again. So, again, we only lasted about two blocks because of the stench this time, not because of the crowds. But the rest of the French Quarter is just amazing. And once you get your bearings, the first day we were in there, it just felt chaotic. And maybe it was because it was a Friday and it was more crowded. But it was just like we didn't really enjoy it as much. Going there on Sunday, we really enjoyed it. There were a lot of crowds still, but it just had more of an artsy flair to it. The local artists put their artwork all up on the walls and along Jackson Square. You have people that are street performers everywhere. You're getting live jazz all over the place because this group started up some jazz and this group over here started up some jazz. Lots of great stores to go through. We went through the farmer's market that had a lot of great stuff for sale. We got a few t-shirts and so we really, really enjoyed the French Quarter on our last day there. It also helped that we were on a, we'd gone on a tour, so we had kind of a feel for the history down there. We did our only ghost tour that evening, and that was a lot of fun. Jerry was our tour guide, and Denise and I, we usually get the same feel off of people, so we had the exact same feel about him. We didn't say anything to each other until after we got done with the tour, and as we were walking away, Denise goes, you know, that tour guide made me feel like... And I said, you were sitting at a bar and a guy says, hey, I got a story to tell you. So imagine that you got this guy. He's got his beer belly hanging over his pants that are barely holding up above his underwear, gregarious and laughing, rudy cheeks and saying, you know, I got to tell you a story about this place over here. So he was a great storyteller along those kinds of lines. So we really enjoyed him. It was totally different style but it was a lot of fun too and you could tell that he loved this place he knew a lot about it and what was nice about it is we did this one with haunted history tours of new orleans again so this was our second tour with them we did the vampire tour with them as well this one was excellent there was a ton of people standing there and we're like oh god this is going to be one of those 40 plus groups it's going to be way too big for us to hear and to enjoy well they split us into two so there was basically 20 of us in this group so that was really nice We got to see, we'd passed it before, but this was the first time we got to stand outside of the LaLaurie Mansion. Yeah, so we went and saw Madame LaLaurie's place, and we got to hear the story about it. Of course, we've done, we actually did a haunted true crime that we shared as a public one with everybody. So we knew a lot of the stories behind it, but just to see the place is amazing. And for those of you who are in the Spooktacular crew, or I know for sure on Instagram, I posted a picture up on the top floor one of the windows is bricked in. And apparently one of their superstitious things that they do there, you know how they cover mirrors or clocks when people pass away? Well, if two people die outside of a window, meaning they either get thrown out, fall out, or jump out, they brick it in. I hadn't even noticed it when we were looking at it and taking pictures and then he pointed up and and showed us. And sure enough, that second window's all bricked in. There's no window there anymore. What would you say is the creepiest place that we went by? For me, even though there's a lot of creepy places in New Orleans, it's the convent. I go between the convent and Jacques St. Germain's place. And now I haven't watched True Blood and I can't remember what the other show is, but the guy who lives in Jacques St. Germain's old place, 
is, I believe, an orthopedic surgeon or something. He paid $3.5 million, but he didn't really have to pay for it because all of these movies and TV shows want to use it as their set, and they film there. So this is a good way to see the inside of it. And because of all that, he basically got his house paid for that way. And the thing is, I can see why everybody would want to film there because it's an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous that the outside is so pretty you just want to photograph it it's amazing until you know the stories that take place there and i'm sure the inside is just as beautiful and it has i believe it's spanish in style so it has a huge inner courtyard as well that you can't see from the street the thing about the convent though and i don't know if it was just suggestion of my brain but after hearing the stories on our vampire tour when we were walking by it it was, I think it was actually on the history tour, and he was going to stop there and talk about the history of the convent, not necessarily the creepy history, but I broke out in goosebumps all over my body. So I don't know if it was the power of suggestion or if there was something there, probably the power of suggestion, but I just got goosebumps all over, and it was a really nice day. So I was like, oh, it creeps me out. Now, the thing about the two chicks walking tour is they don't offer ghost tours. And the only tour that they did that was kind of along those lines is basically kind of to debunk everything. And the tour guide that we had that took us through the French Quarter and was standing outside of the convent and told us basically the same history we'd heard on the vampire tour. He talked about how people said that they thought that these casket girls were vampires and that kind of thing. But he goes, I don't believe in any of that stuff. But he had a really good theory that could be a possibility for those of us who may not necessarily believe that there are such things as vampires that are locked in this room, hidden behind doors, and held in place by sacred nails. The Catholic Church gets a lot of artifacts, right? Probably some artifacts that have attachments to them. Could be demonic attachments. Now, if you got all these things over in maybe, say, the Vatican, and you have this new place over in the new world, and you want to store all of this demonic, evil-type stuff that you're not comfortable with in a location away from you, this convent seems like it would be a really good place to do it. So his theory, because he says there has to be something kind of weird there, because he says... You can't get to the third floor. It is locked off. You will be immediately arrested if you try to sneak into it. They don't have any records anywhere. They won't tell you about it. So he goes, that to me tells me that there's something there that they don't want people to know about, that they are hiding something. He goes, I don't think it's vampires. I think it's some kind of demonic or weird relics, strange relics, things that they don't want people to touch or interact with or see. Something like that. So he believes the Catholic Church has something to hide, and maybe that's what it is. So either one of those possibilities for us is creepy as heck and not something you want to mess with. So whatever you think about it, that is for you to decide. We went to several locations, and it is really amazing how many times New Orleans almost completely burned down. And it was always because of stupid things, like they would use Spanish moss for insulation, and everything would be built from wood. And then you light everything with candles or oil and flame. And boom, it would start a fire. A lot of the times kids were responsible for it. There was one hotel that we went to that there's five little boys that haunt the place. And a woman went there and stayed one night with her little girls. I think they were like 8, 10, and 12 or something. And they left that night. She was like, I'm getting out of here. My girls are having these really bad, weird dreams. They're seeing little boys in them. And... We're just very uncomfortable here. So they left. 
And one of the fires, the reason why it was able to burn the entire city once it got started is because they would always use the church bells to do as an alarm that there was a disaster or a fire and the night that it started was good friday and they don't ring the bells until easter and so when they went to the church and said we need the bells to be rung there's a fire the priest refused to ring the bells and unwrap them so that they couldn't be rung so like a majority of the city burned because of that including his house so it came back to bite him but later on He obviously felt bad about it, and so he was trying to make restitution, so he left the church, at least taking care of that church. He was still a priest, but he didn't want to take care of the church anymore, and he went out to the streets and was helping the homeless and the sick and that kind of thing, and he did so many good things that the city basically forgave him for burning the place, and there's a street named for him, but the street that they named for him is also known as Pirate Alley. So they're like, they're not sure if it was kind of a little, yeah, we're going to honor you, but we just want to make sure that you realize this is Pirate Alley here. Down Pirate Alley is the old absinthe bar, and you can still get absinthe there. There's only two places really in town where you can get it. It's there and at another place at the old absinthe bar. And I can't remember. It's like the Pirate Bar now is its modern day name, but it has the old absinthe bar right underneath it. There I think you can get it, shot of it for 16 bucks. but if you go up the road, it's $30. I've never had absinthe. I've heard it does weird things to you. We don't drink anyway, but it also tastes like black licorice, which I abhor, so I wouldn't want to try it anyway. So our tour guide said, if you want to try it, you better like black licorice because he goes, it'll give you a horrible hangover, so you want to make sure it's worth it. And if you don't like black licorice, the hangover is not worth it. We visited the oldest bar in town several times. It's called Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop. This bar has been in continuous operation as a bar 24-7, except for on Christmas, is it Eve or day? It's closed so the employees can have their own party. But it's open 24-7 since the 1700s. It's got a fireplace in there that supposedly is haunted. You can see faces in it occasionally. And it's not a very big bar. And apparently... If you really want to get hit hard, you try the purple stuff. It's basically Everclear and purple Kool-Aid. <laughs> so we saw, we saw, we passed a trash can on the street and it had a cup full of purple stuff, which we're assuming was that. So whoever tried it must have had a couple sips and went, oh my gosh, it's something that will keep you, they said, buzzing for four hours and give you a horrible headache afterwards. So that was the place that was very popular for the tours to stop so that for a break so you could either go to the restroom and go in and get a drink because you can do to-go cups and so people can carry their drinks around the the French Quarter with them while we're doing the tour. My favorite part about that stop is there was a CC coffee right down the way and they had some really good coffee there. And mango slushies for those of us who don't drink coffee either. And a B plus restroom as opposed to the restroom that was in the bar. Yeah, that was one of the tips that Jerry gave us. He said, okay, ladies, and especially because it was Mother's Day that day, he goes, I'll give you a tip. You can go down to the bar. It's a D-minus restroom. Or said you can go up to CeCe's Coffee House, buy yourself a coffee or whatever, and use a B-plus restroom there. So that's what Denise and I did since we don't drink anyway. And uh, we were happy with our decision. Plus, there was no line for the ladies' room, which was great. So all in all, we absolutely adored New Orleans. We probably will visit it again sometime in the future. Just a wonderful time. Not sure that I would go there with kids, but there is a lot of history. And if you stick to some of the outer areas, 
It was really nice. And make sure you go to the Garden District and up on Canal Street. There's a lot of great stuff and restaurants and hotels up there. And you all will have to give us feedback because I was thinking it might be kind of fun to do a New Orleans Myrtle Plantation History Goes Bump, like retreat, conference, something. We're thinking we should do like a camp. Denise does Taekwondo camps all the time. So she's like, we need to do a History Goes Bump camp. But everybody camps somewhere and then we can shoot out from there and go see places. So it's a thought for the future. That might be kind of fun. Something that we didn't touch on in any of the other episodes that we thought we would put into this one is to talk about the Acadian culture because a lot of people may not be aware of this. We certainly were not until we came on this trip. One of the great things that we love about doing our road trips and going to different places is we learn about a lot of things. And I'd never even heard of the Acadian culture. Basically, the Acadian culture is Cajun. So if you're thinking Cajun, that's what Acadians are. And if you want to know what the difference is between Cajun and Creole, Cajuns come from Acadia, whereas Creoles, generally speaking, you have either a French or a Spanish parent. And then there would be a mix with Native American. And then, of course, later on, it would be a free person of color. So Creole, to me, is like a mixture Whereas Cajun is pure Cajun, I guess, is a way to look at it. The Acadians were basically French people who were up in Canada in the Nova Scotia area, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, that area there, mostly Nova Scotia. And what happened is when they were living there, the British wanted them to become subjects of their kingdom. So they would tell everybody, you need to pledge allegiance to Great Britain and say that our king or queen, our whoever happens to be in charge, that you they are sovereign to you and that you are one of their subjects. Well, not only do the Acadians not want to be subjects of Great Britain or subjects of anyone, but when you are a subject, they can call you into service at any time. And they didn't want to fight for the British. They didn't want to fight for anybody. They were like, you know, we just want to stay out of everybody's conflicts. Just leave us alone. The British said well, that's not going to be okay with us. If you're not our subjects, we're going to make it very tough for you to live here. And they would make it very, very difficult. And they basically pushed them into servitude and started treating them as slaves. And then they started wiping them out. And we spoke with a volunteer at the Acadian Culture Center, and he was pure Cajun. And he rattled off like five different names that you would hear around the Louisiana area that would be Cajun names. I can't think of any off the top of my head but I've heard these names before. The word that he used about how the British treated the Acadians, and of course this is coming from his personal bias as an Acadian, was Holocaust. He said it was a Holocaust against the Acadians. Finally, they were driven out. And what they did is they came down the coast. Some of them settled in Massachusetts, and then they would come down into Maryland. And then they made their way all the way around and came into the Louisiana area. When the Acadians came down, the Spanish were in the Louisiana area. And because they were enemies to the British now, uh, they had nothing against the British until this had happened. And they also were Catholic. They shared a lot in common with the Spanish. So the Spanish started giving them little portions of land here and there and let them come on in and be a part of the whole area there. And I don't know if this is fact, but from all the other history that we heard about how it started out at New Orleans started out as a penal colony. 
I can see why they were probably more than happy to bring these people in because for once they weren't getting criminals and prostitutes. They were just getting people trying to escape the oppression that they were having. So they were probably like, yes, yes, come in. We actually have settlers that aren't of the criminal variety. And so they were able to set up a whole Acadian way of life. And I believe the term for the term Acadian means like heavenly place or uh, paradise, something like that. So that's why when they got to Nova Scotia, that's what they thought of it. They thought of it as like paradise, and that's why they called it Acadia, and that's where Acadian comes from. We're not exactly sure. When you look at how the entomology of the word goes, you're like, how does it go from Acadia and Acadian to Cajun? And what we thought is the way their language was changing, a lot of them will take the A off and just say Cadian. And if you think with a thick accent, it may sound Cajun, Cadian, Cajun. We're thinking that's where the Cajun comes in, is that it's a derivative of that because of the way the accent was. This volunteer, he was amazing to listen to. As he was talking to me, I was like, man, I wish I had my recorder here so I could record what he's telling me and just play it for everybody so that you could hear from his perspective and how he went back through his lineage and figured out everything. But as we went through and we were looking, I mean, this is where the Cajun cooking and the words that they use, the way they dress, their music, all of it comes from that background and a melding of all of that, uh, the, the French in the background and that kind of thing. So it was just very cool to hear about that. So it was just really fascinating to hear about that whole way of life. Well, we are so glad that you guys kind of came along with us on our road trip for 2017. Denise is already hard at work planning road trip 2018. And I can tell you I've heard Virginia thrown around a lot. So I have a feeling we're going north up the east coast on our next road trip. Yep, that is definitely the way that I'm leaning is up towards the Virginia, Maryland, Delaware area. So maybe be planning in 2018 to meet up with us along the way there. We'd love to meet you guys in person. We love meeting our listeners and getting to put a, a face that's more than just a picture on Facebook or what have you. I want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye.